0: When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Blue Nile.com and use promo code SPOTIFY to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code SPOTIFY at Blue Nile.com for $50 off your purchase. Blue BlueNile.com, code SPOTIFY. welcome back to the final four is not on the schedule he is rod i am cameron and we're here to preview the northwestern game the first game of the big 10 season for michigan state uh which will be um a first game for both of them in the big 10 uh rod northwestern's only got four games under their belt here Um, two easy, uh, cupcakes, Arkansas Pine Bluff that they won handily. Chicago State, they won handily. Uh, and then they had a one point loss to Pittsburgh. Um, and then they handled, uh, Quincy. Not Uh, even. I'm not even sure where that is. Yeah, not
1: even a D1. Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's, it's a, um, sparse resume, um, to put it, to put it mildly, which is, is part of the problem because we can go through there, and it's not just Northwestern. Northwestern is just one example of this. But in general, uh, you know, listeners will know, uh, generally speaking on this podcast, we're proponents of what um, some of the analytic systems like Ken Palm uh, most prominently, since we reference that most commonly, can tell you about the basics, about how efficiently a team is either scoring or preventing opponents from scoring. You know, rebounding or not, or getting out rebounded. You know, all of those, all of those things. The problem is, it's it's something that gets lost in the shuffle every other year. Um, But at at a certain stage of the season, the beginning of the season, Ken Palm uses assumptions, and it's opaque as to what goes into them. We don't really know. I don't think he's ever made it common knowledge as to where he comes up with the ratings that he starts a season with. Uh Right. And so until you have a certain amount of data, it's, it's kind of tough to make much of that. And because again, you're working with assumptions. So in Northwestern's case with what we just described, so two low major D ones, a non D one, and then one high major opponent that they lost to, they, by the way, they kicked away a nine-point lead with five minutes to play. But should that add up to the number 68 team in the country, no matter how well they've performed in those games and those wins? I would say no, but nevertheless, that's where we are. So we're going to go over some numbers, and I would just caution people to not take very much from them. Mm-hmm. You know, and that also applies to Michigan State. But a little less so because Michigan State, at least, has played six games, all of which are against you know mid-major or above opposition. Two against ACC teams, high-major opposition. Um, so you got a little more to go on data-wise. You can you can put a little bit more faith in Michigan State, even though I don't think we have an accurate read on them yet either. Mm-hmm. Uh, but much more so than we do with Northwestern.
0: Yeah. Um, so, as you mentioned, um, uh, yeah, know, the numbers kind of are where they are, but they are ranked 68th. Last year they wind up 132. Um, right. And we haven't picked last in the conference this year. Is there anything that you've seen thus far to change your mind on that?
1: <laughs> yeah, maybe. I yeah? mean, having said all that about you can't trust any of this, um, <laughs> Yeah, and and it's primarily down to um, two things. One, I think, is probably going to hold up because it's got to do with intention. The other, I don't know if it's going to hold up. Pace of play and shooting. Mm -hmm. They have been historically, and by historically I mean the entire Ken Palm era, the data of which goes back to 2002. They have never been uh, in the top 250 in pace. So that's under three different head coaches. Kevin O'Neill, I believe, was the head coach during the beginning of that period. Then they had a long run with Bill Carmody. And if you remember what those teams played like with the Princeton offense, you know, and the 1-3-1 defense, you know that they were not playing fast games. And Collins, every year up until now. But he has clearly made a decision that he wants to play faster. He thinks he's got the guys to do it with. And consequently, They've gone with a small ball lineup. We spent a lot of time in our preseason uh, discussion of Northwestern talking about Ryan Young, uh-huh. who's a 6'11 sophomore center, and he's a good player, and he's having a good year, but it's in a reserve role. They have gone small, and I think that has lent itself to doing what Collins thinks suits this team best, which is playing faster. They are currently, I mean, I know I had it in the notes, but it's updated slightly since then, the number 75 in the country in terms of pace. Now, you know, by contrast, Michigan State is 31, which is really fast for mm-hmm. Michigan State. We know that number is going to come down as they get into Big Ten play, but, but the fact that Northwestern is in the top 75 is mind-blowing, mm-hmm. and I think that that number may not stay quite that high because the Big Ten will likely slow it down a little bit, but... If they finish in the top 100, if they finished in the top 150, that would be a major departure uh-huh. for that. So, and, and that's something that's within their control. And, and I've, I saw Chris Collins interviewed after the Quincy game. And what he was talking about was the, the thing that he worries about is shot selection. And he was saying, you know, hey, if there's a great shot in the first six or seven seconds of a possession, yeah, we want to take it. Okay, well, that that alone is a departure. From where they've been, you know, his his issue was, are we sometimes forcing shots, which can happen when you're trying to play fast with a group that's not used to it yet. Um, but uh, but I think that's going to be their intention. I think they they want to play much, much faster than they ever have. I, I can't ever. I mean, I go back to the 70s and I don't ever remember a Northwestern team playing fast. <laughs> not under Bill Foster, not under Ricky Bird's song. Um, I'm trying to remember, oh God, a number of coaches that have come and gone through that program. I don't ever remember them playing fast because they typically haven't had the athletes to do it. Uh This team, I'm not going to say they're gifted athletically, but they are more athletic than they've been. And I think it lends itself to this. The thing that, so that I think is going to hold up more or less. The thing I don't know about is the shooting. They are currently at number 40 in effective field goal percentage, and they're number 20 in three-point percentage. Now, to go back a year, last year they were 293 in effective field goal percentage and 279 in three-point percentage. Now, the roster's a little different. There's a couple different faces, but how heavily do you buy into that level of improvement after four games? Four games can be a hot streak. Mm-hmm. And, and they're about mm-hmm. to start playing real defenses. And, and I will note that the one real opponent they faced, Pittsburgh, um, they shot 29% from three in that game. So is that an indicator that against real defenses they're going to struggle to get the kind of looks that they've gotten against the other opponents? It might well be. But if, if that can stay elevated, if the three-point percentage can – if they can even be a mid-30s three-point shooting team, they're, they're over 40% right now. Um, if they could even be in the mid-30s, I think they can be improved. I, basically, when I look at the bottom tier, I did a post on the Spartan Mag board the other day where I kind of revisited the tiers uh-huh. that we had, and I don't think the upper tier has changed. Um, I still those top four. I still think Rutgers is the next best team. Then I think there's a group, Michigan, Ohio State, Indiana, maybe Purdue, that are kind of all in that middle ground. And then after that, then you get to Minnesota, Maryland, who frankly has looked terrible. Nebraska, who I do think is improved, but it's not showing up in results as much as I thought it might, and Northwestern. Right now I probably wouldn't pick Northwestern last. Lots of time for that to change, but I think – Even the loss they had, it was a one-point loss, a game they should have won against Pittsburgh, who's not a great ACC team, but, you know, Nebraska and Maryland didn't play great ACC opposition either, and they lost. Mm -hmm. So I, I think Northwestern's got a shot, based on the little bit I've seen, to get out of the basement. I wouldn't say it would be by much. I think finishing 12th would be an accomplishment.
0: And so I see that, you know, their average possession length, number two in offense, is that kind of like, does that sort of get to what you're getting at as far as um maybe them taking earlier shots in the shot? Yeah, the yeah, for sure. For sure.
1: And it's a good point. You're right. Because that tempo number doesn't really tell the whole story because the tempo on their defensive possessions is 226. So teams are taking a lot longer to work the ball against them. Yeah, it absolutely does. And it sounds like, you know, Collins wants to play that way, but he also wants them to take good shots. The problem with a team that's playing a new style, and this is a new style for them, is that being able to walk that line between, hey, we want to get shots up quickly, but we want them to be good shots, that's tough. And, you know, the little bit I've seen of them, I didn't see any of the pick game. I did see some of the game before that against Chicago State. And they blew Chicago State out as you would expect. They beat them one eleven to sixty six. Mm-hmm. Here's the other thing: Northwestern has broken a hundred twice already. They put up ninety two against Arkansas Pine Bluff, and then the loss against Pitt, they they lost seventy one to seventy. So even in the loss, you know that's a decent amount of points. Mm-hmm. So it's real their commitment to playing fast. Whether they can do that and continue to be efficient you know as i say 40th in effective field goal percentage that's a that's a glittery number i don't know that i believe they're going to keep that up but if they do hey they they could be they could be very very tough to beat
0: and so uh, if we look at their defense um Collins has been mostly man to man um but has occasionally thrown zones yeah uh you know to sort of mix things up a little um is that kind of what we're looking at here, too?
1: It's a good question. I, I'll tell you this. If I was a Big Ten coach and I was facing Michigan State, the last thing I would do is just throw a zone out there. Mm. Now, if I played in a, an attacking trapping zone in a half court and I had some length on the perimeter, I might do that. But I don't think any of the teams, with the possible exception of Penn State, that mix-in occasional zone looks, do that. So with Northwestern, I would expect it to be a more passive zone. And he may do it because he may worry about being able to contain guys like Henry and Watts off the dribble. But um, it's a bad idea mm-hmm. because Michigan State has the personnel to just chew that stuff up. Um but we may well see some of it. You know, Northwestern, they're number four right now in effective field goal percentage. But again, they've played nobody, even Pitt. That's not a great high major team. Mm-hmm. So I don't put a lot into that. You know, right now, the percentages they're giving up are fantastic defensively. They're really, really good. But again, we're talking about a team that last year, with most of the same personnel, was 156 in effective field goal percentage. So not horrible, but very middle of the pack. They're currently at number four. I don't think they've improved that much. Mm. I just don't. I mean, they may prove me wrong, but if they do, they're probably winning a Big Ten championship. <laughs> if these numbers held up, <laughs> that, that's a Big Ten champ, probably. And and that's why I don't think they're going to. Um, but, uh, but yeah, again, it's the problem with what we're looking at with them is we just have so little to go on that it's limited data. And most of the data we do have, I think, is really um, not going to be able to provide us with very much insight. I mean, here's, here's another, here's another good number. Um, their defensive rebounding at the moment is 14th in the country, right? Mm-hmm. That's a great number. You know, they're only giving up, um, 18.8% of missed shots by opponents to offensive rebounds. So just under 19%. That's a fantastic number. But you know what happened against Pitt? They gave up 41% offensive rebounding rate. <laughs> so so what that tells you, and Pitt does have one uh, champagne kit, is put up monster rebounding numbers. So they're probably legitimately okay in that area, but still... What that tells me is, okay, they flat-dominated three, three tomato cans on the boards, and then they faced an opponent that actually had high major players, and they got kind of tattooed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just don't know what to make of their numbers. Again, other than pace, that's the thing I can put some faith in because I know, you know that's something that, by and large, is down to intent. If you want to play fast, you can play fast. To some extent, at least on offense, because you choose how quickly you shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. So, uh, other than that, I—it's a great start statistically for them. I don't think anybody should be buying in just yet to these numbers sitting where they are.
0: Uh, so, you look at their starts, uh, or their starters. Boo Booey, six-two sophomore, um, who's made the transition uh, to the point mostly after playing off the ball last year. Um, so far he's averaging 11.5 points a game, six assists um, to just under two turnovers a game. So he seems to be doing a little pretty good there. Um he is. Shooting 37, 37, and 81.
1: Yeah, he's – I I was skeptical of this move. They talked about it, but there was also talk about um, one of their reserves who's playing pretty well so far, um, Ty Berry coming in and as a freshman and maybe being the guy. I, I wasn't sure about Boo-Booey, and that was mostly because seeing him play last year as a freshman, Michigan State fans may remember, yeah. uh, he had a great shooting game against MSU, pretty much single-handedly kept them in it uh, before MSU kind of pulled away at the end. But... He was a total wild card. To refresh people's memory, he's uh, the younger brother of Taylor Battle, who was a guard at Penn State, and he plays a lot like Taylor Battle, except he wasn't as good (laughs) as a freshman. His shot selection was, to put it mildly, questionable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just thought, man, a guy like that who played that way, putting him on the ball, putting him at the point, how is that going to play out? It was kind of a similar situation to Rocket Watts, except I had less faith in it working out because I thought Bowie was a little more wild than Rocket, and I don't have as much faith in Chris Collins as I do in Tom Izzo for obvious reasons. Uh Um, But so far, so good. And again, it's really early. But six assists to a little under two turnovers a game better in a 3-to-1 ratio that's what you're looking for. And, again, this is a team that's playing fast, right? Mm-hmm. So um, his shooting has been solid. You take 37% from three for him for the year, for sure. Um, a little more than half his shots come from out there, so that's kind of the way he tilts as more of a perimeter player. Uh, but I, I I think you have to be impressed so far. Again, we have to see if it'll hold up, but I I think they've got to be reasonably happy with what he's given them.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Chase Audage, who who's the 6'4 sophomore transfer from William & Mary. Um, so a, a little bit of questions coming in. He shot 42% from three at William & Mary. Uh, but yeah. he's really added some, some firepower here, Rod. 15.5 points a game, 39 from the floor, only 26 from three so far, and 61 from the line.
1: Yeah, that you mentioned the shooting at William & Mary, and that's why they think he can shoot better. But he he's a guy who I think is, based on my one viewing of them, seems to be the poster child for what they're doing. He likes to chuck the ball. Mm -hmm. He likes to get shots up. I mean, he will fire from anywhere. And that's fine. And you mentioned the point production. He's a second-leading scorer. He's definitely giving them a jolt of energy over what they've had of late, but he's not been the most efficient player. And you always wonder, you know, we talk about this all the time, guys who are transferring up. um, The difference with him is he's not a grad transfer. He's got a couple more years after this. He's only a sophomore eligibility-wise. So he's going to have time to work into this. But for now, I think perhaps what you've seen the start of is the difficulty in translating those three-point shooting numbers that level of production from the mid-major level to the high major level and he hasn't even really faced that much high major opposition yet Mm -hmm. so we'll see where it ends up but he's he's definitely a guy who's built to play the way that they're playing right now so i don't look for him to be anything but a starter and a guy who gets a lot of shots going forward
0: uh and then miller cop six seven jr uh, who leads them in scoring 16.3 points a game, 53 from the floor, 53 from three, uh, and 83 from the line.
1: Yeah, he's he's their best player, and that's not a surprise. You know, one thing that is a surprise, and I remember talking about this, I'm pretty sure, in our preview. I said, you know, they talk about him, and it would be a way for him to become an even better offensive weapon if He did more inside the arc, but a guy who's already two years into his career and takes as many threes as he does, I don't know if I've really got a lot of faith in him changing. Well, at least early, color me surprised, because he's averaging almost six free throw attempts per game. That's a big step up from what he's done previously. Mm -hmm. And if you put that together with the kind of efficiency he's shown this year and last year as a jump shooter, you're really talking about a guy who can be a an upper tier offensive player. He doesn't do a hell of a lot else. Mm-hmm. He's never been a great rebounder. I don't think he's particularly good defensively either, you know, guarding three men, you know, guarding wings. I think he struggles a little bit. But man, as an offensive player, he's the real deal. I mean, I don't think he's going to s- stick around at 53% from deep, but he broke 40% last year, so. If you said to me he ends up forty five, forty six percent on the year from three, and is right at the top of the shooting list in the Big Ten, that wouldn't shock me. Mm-hmm. He's good enough, and if he's adding that other stuff, you know, inside the arc to his game, hey, you are talking about a guy who can be a real weapon. So,
0: and it looks like he's been playing the four a lot more than he had last year, just very sparingly, but the four, like, yeah.
1: Yeah. Again, their commitment to going small. I'm sure that's that would make sense. Mm-hmm. That would make sense. Uh,
0: then, I, but I think he
1: starts at the three because I yeah. think Baran starts at the four.
0: Yeah. Uh, so and then you mentioned Baran, six nine sophomore, averaging ten points a game, uh, sixty two from the floor, fifty five from three, and eighty from the line.
1: Yeah. The issue with Robbie Baran is the same issue it was last year. He doesn't take enough shots. He's not as involved as he needs to be. He's only averaging about five shots a game, just slightly over that. That's mm. a criminal. For a guy who's hitting 55% of his threes, <laughs> 62% yeah. overall, and 80 at the line, you want him shooting more. Five shots, a game, it ought to be double that. Mm. But I don't know if, he, you know, this is the second year where this has been an issue. I don't know if it's an issue that he has or if it's what they're running, his teammates. I don't know. But um, he needs to be a guy who gets, you know, who' used more. I just think that's pretty clear. He's also a decent rebounder, four and a half per game. Uh, but the potential with him is obvious. I mean, when you've got two forwards like Baran and Copp, you're in pretty good shape. And I had said that in our preview that I felt like their front court was in pretty good shape. Where they needed to see improvement was with guard play. And if they got that to go with their front court, then they could be thinking about getting back into contention for a tournament bid and all those things. Well, so far their guards have played well, and their front court's playing really well. I've got more faith in the front court production holding up just because those guys have done these things a little bit before.
0: Mm. Uh, and then the other big man, Pete six nine Jr., who's been starting at the five, uh, 10 points a game, team high 7.3 rebounds, uh, 50 from the floor, 40 from three, uh, and 67 from the line.
1: Yeah, he's been better. You know, we, we talked about it in the preview that at a certain stage last year, he lost his job at the four to Buran. Well, now he's a small ball five, and he's playing really well. The, the knock on Nance has never been talent. This is a guy who offers from Michigan, Ohio State, other high majors. So he was a solid top 100 guy, a guy that a lot of big-time programs wanted. And his tenure at Northwestern to date, the first two years, has been marred by showing signs, showing flashes, but marred by inconsistency and focus and effort. And I think so far this year, at least, he's improving on that. Can he maintain it? Four games isn't a lot to go on. But can he stay engaged? Can he stay locked in and playing as hard as they need him to? If he can, he also averages a block a game. So this is not a big rim protection team, but he's the best they've got. So he's important in a number of areas. And if he can keep that three-point shooting up at 40%, you know, one of the things I mentioned when we get to the keys, this is a starting lineup. Every single guy on that roster is a threat. Mm. All five guys on the floor, I should say, are threats from three. That's hard to guard. That means you've got to be capable. All five of your guys have to be locked in on identifying, locating, closing on shooters. And with a five-man especially, that can be really challenging. So Nance, if Nance keeps that up, when I think about him going up against a guy like Coburn, that'll be fascinating Because Colburn doesn't want to come any higher than halfway up the lane, (laughs) and if Pete Nance can hit forty percent of threes against him, that's a problem for Illinois. Yeah, whatever might happen at the other end, that's creating a real issue. You know, that's just one example. Purdue, it'll be the same thing with their big guys. You know, so if it keeps up, he's a weapon. Mm. He's a he's a, a guy who creates some issues for opponents with what he can do.
0: Uh, And so, as far as reserves, Ryan Young is really probably the one guy who's hurt the most from this small ball uh, lineup. Although, he's still playing. uh, It's not like he's been benched. He's still averaging 15 minutes a game, uh, the 6'11 sophomore. Uh, Almost 10 points a game, 6.5 rebounds.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. In reduced minutes, his production's pretty similar to last year. And He's 57% from the floor, 83% from the line. Uh, and he's averaging four-and-a-half attempts at the free throw line of game, so he's getting fouled a lot. He's a valuable player because I know they want to play small, but there are going to be situations. Let's go back to the Illinois example. If they're playing Coburn, and Coburn, who I've seen struggle with small ball opponents, but then in their most recent game against Minnesota, he was very, very effective. Let's say that's happening again. Illinois is not getting burned, you know, Nance maybe isn't hitting the threes, and Coburn's just burying Nance under the rim at the other end. Mm. Northwestern has an option, a legitimate option in Young that they can go with and match up physically, you know. So that's a nice card to have in your deck that you can play. Um, I was a little surprised they went this way. We figured in the preview and had no reason to suspect otherwise that Ryan Young was going to be a starter He's not, he's playing less than I thought he would, but the productivity is good. They've got to be very happy with him. Mm. And I think in big 10 play, there might be reason to play him more, not less than we've seen. I don't know that I would expect him to get above, to get above 20 minutes a game, given what they're doing, but I, I think he'll probably play more than 15.
0: Uh, and then Anthony Gaines, 6'4", senior, uh, who's coming off an injury, Um so this is sort of his comeback season in a reserve role.
1: Um, not
0: a ton of production, but he's shooting well.
1: Yeah, he's also grabbing 6.8 rebounds per game in 18 yeah. minutes. For a 6-4 wing, that's pretty good. I don't know if that's going to keep up, but it shows that he's being aggressive. 39-50-60 um, in very limited attempts. But if you look at him as a defender and an energy guy in about and a half minutes per game, that's really what he's providing. But so far, so good in terms of him operating in that role.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Ty Berry, the 6'3 freshman combo guard, uh, 10.3 points a game in 17 and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, and, and we, I mentioned him earlier, you know, in conjunction with Boo Booey. I think there was a thought he might be the best option at the point. As it stands, he's not really playing a lot of point. They're looking to him to be a scorer mostly, and he's, he's doing it. You mentioned double digits in just under 18 minutes a game. Pretty good. 52, 53, 36% shooting. The free throw shooting is a weird outlier. If you're a 53% shooter from three, you should be a pretty good <laughs> free throw shooter. So I suspect that number is going to round into form eventually. But at least for now, he's kind of there. You know, Gaines is their defender, rebounder off the bench on the perimeter. The next guy we're going to mention, Ryan Greer, is playing pretty well, giving them point guard minutes as a backup, and then Barry is the scorer.
0: Hmm. Uh, So, yeah, Ryan Greer, 6'1", junior, um, kind of settling into a role after some struggles in his first two seasons.
1: Yeah, um, I have to admit, and, and I still think there's a lot of tests to come. He's got to prove it against Big Ten opposition, but I believe I said in the preview that I felt like he had demonstrated sufficiently over two years that he wasn't going to be a capable Big Ten player. He may be eating, making me eat my words. He's he's playing uh, 17 minutes a game, so he's playing a lot. He's second on the team in assists at three a game, doesn't turn it over much, won a game. He's shooting well, which he has not done at all his first two seasons. He's at 40, 60, and he's perfect at the line. It's very limited volume, but you'll take it. I, I kind of look at him maybe where Foster Lawyer was a year ago. Mm -hmm. You know, we look at it and say, hey, if he could just take care of the ball, hit the open threes he gets, that's enough. Mm -hmm. Um, They're playing him a lot more than MSU played Foster last year, but the the situations are different. I I, I think this is a positive development for Northwestern. If they can get anything close to this kind of Ryan Greer, that's a big plus because it means – you can rest guys like Bowie. You know, you you, you don't have to over overtax him. Mm. Um, I think Greer's minutes might decline from seventeen, but if he can give him twelve good minutes, that's that's enough.
0: Mm. Uh, and then Matt Nich- Nicholson, seven foot freshman from Clarkston, um, not getting a whole lot, just four point three minutes a game.
1: Yeah, I you know obviously as with Young, the domino effect. Uh, he's affected by the decision to go small ball. I thought coming into the season, he'd be the primary big man backup. Well, now we're we're looking at him as the third string center, essentially. So he's not playing very much. But again, getting into Big Ten play, I can see situations where he may play more out of necessity if they need to match up with size. I, I've talked about him a bunch. I do like his future. Mm-hmm. I think he's. He's more mobile than you might think for a seven-footer. I think as he gains strength, he's going to be very difficult to deal. I think he's got a bright future, but right now it doesn't look like a huge role. I think it will be in spots. The Michigan State game may be one where there's more of a role for him. Maybe he plays seven or eight minutes Hmm. because they feel like they just need some more size out there. It's possible.
0: Uh, And that's probably all we'll see unless something crazy happens.
1: Oh, for sure. And I think it's more likely than 11 guys would be that Nicholson doesn't play and it's nine. Mm.
0: Uh, So you look at the keys, Rod. Guard the arc. Uh, Boy, you go player to player, and it seemed like most of these guys are 40-plus, some of them, a lot of them in the 50s.
1: Very Uh, hot. Very hot start to the season. Yeah. Um, And I think – The other thing is that they're taking more than 41% of their total shots from three. Now, Michigan State, playing against a steady diet of zones, which is going to usually tilt your three-point shooting percentage northward of where it would be against man defenses, so the majority of the time, MSU's only at 39%. So that tells you something. Mm -hmm. Northwestern's taking a lot of threes, and you mentioned the percentages are great. I talked about all five guys in that starting lineup. Really, everybody they'll likely play, except for Young and Nicholson if he plays, is a three point threat. So, everybody can shoot, everybody will shoot. Uh, Michigan State has to be very sharp in locating and closing on shooters. Hmm. Simple as that. You know, again, you know, we talk about this all the time. That you can't really control the percentage. What you can control are the attempts and the quality of the looks they're getting. Now, as we mentioned, because they want to play fast and they want to shoot early in possessions, they may well take some bad shots. But that's that's going to be important for Michigan State defensively in recognizing hey, in transition you don't have the luxury of taking a breath. Because if these guys have just a little bit of separation, six seconds into a possession, they might pull. Mm-hmm. So You've got to be locked in, right. and that's something that I don't think I don't think this MSU team has yet proven that they're in you know full MSU form just yet. We saw it in the first half of that game against Oakland. You know they know Rashad Williams is a, is a gunner. They know it, and he's coming off a ten for twenty game against Oklahoma State. Didn't matter. They didn't they didn't really guard him very well in the first half they got better in the second but there were problems well northwestern is a team that's got a lot of guys that are going to look to pull uh
0: so that brings us to the next point rebounding you know so if they're pulling quick um getting three point rebounds kind of all over the place you just don't want them lining it up and hitting another (laughs) shooting at another one
1: yep i think that's big at that end the northwestern is not doing much on the offensive side, on the glass, they are at 235 in offensive rebounding percentage. Mm. But we've seen MSU struggle against teams that are not very good rebounding teams, right? So, and and in those kind of situations, as you mentioned, where it's a lot of long rebounds, guys are just out quicking, out hustling MSU. You can't have that. At the other end, Northwestern's overall numbers as a defensive rebounding team are fantastic, but. I think it's skewed because the one legit opponent they played, Pittsburgh, just tattooed them. Mm-hmm. Michigan State has not been Michigan State on the offensive glass thus far. They're at 41 nationally. Um, you know their overall numbers. They're 41 on offensive rebounding, 48 on defensive rebounding. That's not terrible, but I, it doesn't feel that good to me watching these games because of some of the opponents they've played. I think the two high major opponents they've played, they've done pretty well. The other game's less impressive. Northwestern is going to feel more like some of those other teams, I think, in terms of the size they play with. Uh-huh. Um, so this would be a game that if Michigan State can get more second opportunities, that would be great. I also think those rebounding numbers for MSU, we talk about you know data being skewed at this stage of the season they just destroyed Oakland on the boards and it made both of those ends look a lot better than they were before that game. Mm. So, I caution to read too much in MSU's numbers as well. They got they've got a lot of proving to do for, to my in my eyes at least.
0: Uh and then pace. So, I mean, I I don't think we're looking for Northwestern to all of a sudden be a heavy transition team um, but
1: well, <laughs> yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. They want to play fast. But, you know, one of the issues is does Michigan State get a lot done on the offensive glass? If they are, that's going to limit Northwestern's ability to play fast because I don't think they are – it's not as ingrained, how could it be, as it is with Michigan State to push off opponent makes. Uh You know, so if they're not getting clean defensive rebounds – that could put a real crimp in their desire to run. But it's going to be really interesting. It looks like Northwestern is committed to playing this way. We will know much better on Sunday how committed they are because if they want to run with Michigan State, that's a statement. Mm -hmm. I I do expect them to play fast. I I don't know why you would do what they've done in these first four games and then all of a sudden decide, oh, we're going to slow it down because we can't run with these guys. I don't think they can run with Michigan State. Mm-hmm. But they at some point you got to play the way you play, right? Yeah. So we'll I, see.
0: I guess I'm envisioning them like kind of getting it up pretty quick and then taking quick open threes kind of before everything's set, you know. In the half court. Yeah, almost like secondary transition almost. It,
1: it may well end up it may well end up that way. It may well end up that way. I mean, how often they're able to get into real transition is going to have a lot to do with how Michigan State plays them, right? Mm -hmm. If Michigan State's sloppy getting back, if they're crashing but not getting offensive rebounds, that type of thing. Yeah, you might be right. But I do think we're looking, by Big Ten standards, you should expect a fast game at this point. A lot of possessions. This Uh is not going to be, you know, your standard issue, Wisconsin- you know, John Beeline, Michigan, or Northwestern for as many years as I've been watching them. (laughs) It's a little different. This is going to be more akin to a game against an Iowa. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what it feels like.
0: Uh, And then turnovers. Um,
1: Yeah, Northwestern, despite playing fast, has done a really good job not making mistakes. Um, They are currently – Number 15, fifteen in the country in turnover percentage, so that's really that's good. Surprising, yeah. Michigan State one eighty nine. So MSU, unfortunately, after some real improvement last year, has slipped backward, and we've we've all seen it. It's come mostly against aggressive zone defenses. They had a pretty good game after an initial struggle against Duke when Duke was playing man. They did a very good job against a more passive zone that Notre Dame played. The mid-major opponents, you know, Eastern, Oakland, that have been more aggressive in those zones, that's where MSU ran into trouble. Mm. So assuming Northwestern plays a mix of man and a more passive zone, I would hope that Michigan State can minimize them. But, you know, it... We say this every game. The two two big, big factors in any Michigan State game are rebounding and turnovers. Because if MSU is at least matching their opponents in attempts to score, so field goal attempts and or free throw attempts, they're going to win the vast, vast, vast majority of those games because they're going to shoot better than their opponents. Mm-hmm. From the floor, for sure. That's something that's been true for years. The equalizer tends to be if MSU is kicking the ball around and giving their opponents more chances and if they're not dominating on the glass. Those are the things you got to worry about. So to me, turnover is very important. And we can't count on Northwestern coughing it up a lot because so far, at least, they haven't shown a propensity to doing that despite the pace. Yeah, yeah. But then again, they haven't seen a defensive team like Michigan State yet either. Uh, At MSU, we know it doesn't ball hawk, but you know what I mean. It can just. it <laughs> to it, It's a different story between being guarded, somebody playing for Quincy, and having Aaron <laughs> Henry Rocket Watts in your grill. Yeah, you know? Yeah. You might make some more mistakes.
0: Uh, and so, penetration, um, which we've seen uh, some slippage on the MSU perimeter.
1: Yep. Uh, yep. And, and, you know, and I've seen some people blaming. The MSU posts for not being in good help position for, you know, other than Marcus Bingham, they're not providing a lot of rim protection. Yeah, I'm not ready to go there. I'm not saying the posts have been perfect, but to me, everybody except Aaron Henry and shockingly, maybe Foster Lawyer in that perimeter group has had more breakdowns than I would have expected. Rocket Mm -hmm. Watts especially, but Josh and Gabe Brown to some extent, too. Those guys have to be better. Northwestern is not DDR um, uh, Kentucky you know when when Cal was running the dribble drive offense and his John Wall heyday they're not a team that's built on penetration by any means but they got enough guys and, and looking if I was Chris Collins looking at the tape, I might say to my guards, hey, let's look to take these guys off the dribble and see what happens. Mm-hmm. you know probe that. See how well they guard you. Um, So Michigan State's got to be better. Last two games, Western and then the uh, Oakland game, I have not liked what I've seen in that element. So MSU's perimeter guys have to be much more solid. And if you want to lump the post players in and say they got to do a better job too, fine. But it it starts with the guards, in my view.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, well, this one's 7 o'clock Sunday on Big Ten Network. Um let's see anything else going on. It looks like uh Cassius Winston's gotten some preseason time, gotten some points uh for the wizards
1: yeah, you know i I hadn't really when he was drafted. I didn't really looked at their roster until recently but i'm I'm a little bit concerned because you know obviously they made the trade for Russell Westbrook, so we know he's going to start barring injury, and then um they have a foreign player, and I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, who has been in the NBA for the last several years as a backup. And then it looks to me like Ish Smith, who Piston fans for yeah. yeah. is on the roster as well. That's three guys. So I don't love the odds of Cassius starting the year with them based on that. Uh, I hope I'm wrong. Mm. But but seeing them, the Ish Smith thing, was that because it's possible, you know, a team would, would possibly keep three point guards. That's not unusual. But if the battle, as it looks to me, is between he and Ish Smith for that spot, um, I don't know how I feel about Cassius' odds. They're two totally different players. You know, Ish Smith is a guy whose entire game is really predicated on quickness. Mm-hmm. Well, we know that's not Cassius, right? So it kind of depends on what you want if you're Washington. But just the fact that he's a veteran, has all of that experience, um, and that Washington can has got Cassius on a two-way deal so they can stash him in the G League. Um, I don't love his odds, but I hope I'm wrong. I just I just want him to get a legitimate shot.
0: I mean, they would think they would be better than having John Wall on the team. I mean, barring <laughs> with the exception that... He doesn't play too often because of his injuries, but. Uh, or why
1: they made that trade?
0: Well, well, I mean, obviously they. I'm sure they didn't make it because they were like, well, we got Cassius Winston on the bench." But, uh, I mean, Wall would be more predominantly at a point guard than Westbrook, wouldn't he?
1: Well, Westbrook's going to be their starter mm-hmm. at the point. I don't think there's much doubt about that. Um, to me, as I say, it's it's more about. Uh, the fact that they've got three guys with a lot of experience at the position and then Cash. Yeah. Um, and, and Cash is stylistically a very different guy than Ish Smith. So I, I just, my gut tells me that's not a good spot um, for Cash to get an honest shot at it this year, barring injuries. I mean, we know, look, injuries happen all the time in the nba and they're they're often what leads to guys getting real opportunity right Mm -hmm. so if somebody gets hurt in that group you know cash maybe gets his shot and proves something you know that that can happen and that's probably the most likely path for him playing or you know getting a real shot at the nba right now but you know then again you can make the argument functionally what's better for him sitting on the pine as a third-string point guard for an NBA season or actually playing a lot in the G League. You might be able to make an argument that he's better off with the latter. I don't know.
0: Mm -hmm. Just out of curiosity, Rod, what's your kind of take on this crazy Pistons transformation?
1: (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) You mean the fact they've got, like, six centers? Yeah. I I, I don't know. I mean, some of it... (laughs)
0: Is it just like collecting assets that people would want later?
1: Well, or you could make an argument that it's them not being willing to admit that they're trying to tank. I don't know. (laughs) Um, No, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You you don't sign Christian Wood, who was one of the few bright spots last year. and, And it ended up that he signed a pretty reasonable deal to leave, right? Yeah. And then you spend all that money on Mason Plumlee. I don't, I don't understand that. You know, um, some of what they've done. Look, I think the draft. My two cents, and I'm certainly not a, a draft guru. But it seemed to me, I liked some of what they did mm-hmm. in the draft. Um, we'll see on the French kid Hayes as a point guard. You know, it's kind of, it kind of feels like. Um, there's going to be a comparison in, in careers between he and the Halliburton kid from Iowa State that went a, a couple picks after him. Because uh-huh. they're similarly sized. They're both big point guards who have some question marks around their shooting. I, I'm not conversant enough with him to have a feel. But the other two guys they got in the first round, I do know. Um, you know, the Bay kid from Villanova looks like. A standard issue Villanova player, a guy who's going to play hard, he's going to play tough, and he's going to play smart, and he's and he's going to help you win games. So I think I think that could be a positive for them. Uh-huh. Um, and then Isaiah Stewart, I like.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah. to
1: me, I, I saw people panning that pick to some degree for how early they took him, but. To me, he kind of seems like, other than the fact that he's not really a proven three-point shooter yet, he kind of seems like a lot, he has a lot of the attributes that the NBA wants in five men in the modern game. Mm -hmm. And and the things that I always liked about him when MSU was recruiting him, he plays hard. Yeah, he He does. He really competes. And he's tough, and he's physically strong. And he doesn't quit. High motor, all that stuff. And I think he's a little more skilled than maybe people realize. You know, he was, look, the decision he made to go to Washington, I think we got a pretty good idea what went down there. And he kind of disappeared into the abyss, as most guys who play in the Pac-10 or Pac-12, if you're not at UCLA or Arizona, you tend to disappear. Mm -hmm. And he did. Not many people saw him play last year, and his team was terrible, despite the fact that they had a bunch of they had another uh, yeah, JD NBA Daniels on the roster. yeah, yeah McDaniels. Um, so he, you didn't see him a lot. I did see him play some, and I thought he showed all the potential that I had seen from him when I, I saw him in AAU. But um, you know, it's going to be a work in progress, but I, I, like, I like those three guys, the other picks. The point guard they got from Vanderbilt, I'm I'm just not familiar enough with him. Uh Um, And the free agency stuff, uh, people like Grant, the kid they got from Denver, but I I don't know how he's going to function as a starter. I guess that remains to be seen. I don't know. It it looked to me like they're just, as you said, assembling assets, maybe figuring, hey – if these guys don't pan out, great. We're in a we're in an advantageous position in what looks to be a good and deep draft, mm-hmm. um, you know. And if they do come together, well, okay. Then we can maybe think about establishing a winning culture. I, I just think they're 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 a little bit away from from being able to. To pull it together you know and, and have a legitimate contender, it, it looks that way to me i mean this is this is basically uh, starting a serious rebuild in all but name <laughs> and I think it just it really then the the question's going to come at the trade deadline. How healthy did Blake Griffin and/or Derek Rose stay, and can they get anything for him mm-hmm. you know because to me those would be the first two guys to go. Yeah, I mean it is. It is really funny though. They did kind of, to some extent, they well, to a large extent, they assembled a roster filled with Tom Izzo what ifs.
0: I, I mean know, they've got yeah. they've
1: got Jaleel Okafor, uh, uh, Jaleel Okafor, who just had the misfortune of the worst timing I've ever seen in sport. He came on the scene right at the point that the NBA had decided guys like him were no longer valuable Uh for the way the game is going to be played. And so that's limited him. Josh Jackson, one of the all-time recruiting sagas in Tom Izzo history. Um, Another guy, I'm absolutely stunned that his career has gone the way it did. Now, he was actually okay last year when he got back to the NBA from a G League exile Mm-hmm. Uh, but his first year in Phoenix was terrible, and they sent him packing. Yeah. I mean, they drafted the guy fourth, and he lasted one year. What does that tell you?
0: Yeah, you that know? was but surprising. I,
1: I, I really thought, yeah, he, was I, I thought he was the 21st century Scotty Pippen. I really did. And he just hasn't developed a jump shot yet. And his defensive intensity, which was always his calling card – has kind of waned a little bit, too. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get him back on track. He was the kind of signing, though, like I look at it, and I think on the surface, okay, that makes sense. Uh You're not going to win anything this year anyway, so why not take a chance on a devalued asset who's still young, still would theoretically have a chance. to turn. He wouldn't be the first guy to figure that out. I mean, people forget, you know, Chauncey Billups was a total failure. At Boston. Boston was a team that drafted him, and they Mm. sent him back. He found his game in Minnesota, and then the Pistons were able to sign him as a free agent and and turn him around. But he was like a good five years into his career, maybe, Mm. by the time he got to Detroit. And it was only then. That was the first time he'd ever been a, a true starting point guard. You know? So sometimes that happens. And I think that move was one that you look at and say, okay, that's that's a worthwhile flyer to take on a guy, you know, to see if you can figure it out. But I, I think I read something that they've got the most top five choices on their roster of any team in the NBA. I think that's true, which would make some sense if you think about it, because yeah. Derrick Rose and Blake Griffin fit that bill. Josh Jackson fits that bill. I think Jaleel Okafor does. Yep, yep. Um, so there's a lot of them. It doesn't add up to myself, right? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: So I don't know. I think they're a long way away, but we'll see if there's a real plan in place.
0: All right. Well, that's a, that's enough on that, unless you want to get into lines.
1: <laughs> that might, uh, that might think, be a longer. You that know, might be Big a two Ten, three hour. Big Ten is to bring it back around to that real quick. <laughs> Big Ten has started. Um, you know, Michigan barely got by Penn State. In their opener, uh, Iowa, uh, no, I'm sorry, Illinois absolutely waxed Minnesota. Mm. It was crazy because the first five minutes of that game, I thought, man, here we go again for Illinois. They were really struggling to defend, pick and roll. Uh, Minnesota's big kid, Robbins, hit a couple of threes because Coburn wouldn't come out and guard him. And then Robbins got us two quick fouls. Had to sit down, and the game turned on a dime, and Minnesota never got back in it. They got beat by 30-some. So that was impressive. And then last night, I don't know whether we've talked about it, uh, EJ Liddell, a big kid for Ohio State, has been playing very well, has mono. So he's out. They don't know when he's going to be back. So an Ohio State team that was already pretty thin on the interior is really thin now, and they went into Purdue and got handled. Mm. Um, so I think Ohio State's hopes are in large part going to be dependent upon how quickly they can get each other down back. I, I don't think that's an in, uh, that's a an roster issue that they can withstand for very long. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh and then we'll see what uh Iowa's made of here Saturday against Gonzaga.
1: Big test for Iowa. Yeah. Yep. Big test. I, I look Iowa's uh, offensive numbers are tremendous. They're really great. But every time I see them play, I think the same thing. I think, man, they're going to have issues defensively in this league. And the Gonzaga game is going to demonstrate that, I suspect. Mm-hmm. Um, Gonzaga's no defensive stalwart. They're not a great defensive team, but they're better than Iowa, in my opinion. And offensively, they're also better than Iowa. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do I do think the Drew Timmy Luca Garza matchup is going to be worth the price of admission. I mean that that will be tremendous because they're very different players. You know they they're similar in one way that they're both high motor guys, but Timmy is much more. He's more athletic. He's more versatile um, in in terms of how he moves. Whereas Garza obviously is a great shooter and also just relentless around the rim. Mm-hmm. I could see it going either way. I could see either guy getting the other in foul trouble. And, yeah. you know, that'll be interesting. But the thing is, Gonzaga's got enough depth inside that it's not quite what Carolina threw against Garza, but I think they can they can hold the fort down against Garza a little bit, whereas I, I don't think Iowa's got any chance. If Drew Timmy is able to play without foul trouble, I don't think they can guard him. Mm-hmm. I don't see how. So we'll see. If Iowa can win that game, I'll I'll admit, okay, I at least have to suspend my disbelief, <laughs> in Iowa. But you know, and, and Gonzaga is a very different challenge than what Michigan State and Illinois and Wisconsin, et cetera, are going to throw at Iowa. Mm-hmm. But but Gonzaga is legitimately really, really, really good in my opinion. So, yeah, it's going to be a hell of a game. Let's hope it – I mean, we're recording this on Thursday night, so I would hope they're going to play it. Let's hope they do.
0: Yeah. All right. Well, until uh, the postgame in Northwestern, the Final Four is not on the screen. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away, and the ones keeping business moving forward, we are Granger, offering supplies and solutions for every industry with 24-7 support and experienced staff at over 250 local branches. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile,